Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today uh, I am going to be talking about, or we are going to be talking about, uh, the upcoming combined sections meeting for the APTA, which is in just a couple of days in Indianapolis. And myself, Ann Wendell, and Kyle Ridgway, who are my two guests today, the three of us are going to be doing one of the talks at CSM through the private practice section. And our talk is direct access through the continuum of care. It is going to be on Thursday, February 5th from 11 to 1, room 205, the Indiana Convention Center. So if you're going to CSM and you want to learn more about uh, direct access in different settings, outpatient, from inpatient to outpatient to home health, then be sure to swing by and uh, bring your questions because this is going to be uh, pretty interactive. So uh, again, that's this Thursday, February 5th from 11 to 1. And a little intro of myself, aside from being the host of this show, um, I am also myself a physical therapist and I work in a home health setting. So I have my own uh, cash-based home health physical therapy business where I, in, based in New York City. Um, and I do have a good portion of my patients do come to me through direct access. In New York State, we have direct. We don't. We do not have unrestricted direct access. Uh, patients can come to us for six weeks or ten visits, whichever comes first. So um, that's my quick little intro, and I am now going to hand it over to Kyle Ridgway, who at this point can be my co-host because he's been on <laughs> three times. Go ahead, Kyle. <laughs> Thank you so much, Karen. Yeah, I feel like I'm hanging out more than uh, than we would have lived in the same city. Uh, <laughs> So I'm, I'm Kyle Ridgway. Um, currently, I practice at the University of Colorado Hospital on the inpatient side of the hospital where I um, am the coordinator of a medical intensive care uh, physical therapy quality improvement project. Um, for three years after I graduated from PT school, I practiced in a private outpatient clinic here in Colorado as well as on the inpatient side of University of Colorado Hospital. Um, in Colorado, we actually have unrestricted direct access and have since the 80s and a, a fair portion of our patient population in our outpatient clinic came to us um, direct access. Um, and that was a big, uh, a big grassroots marketing segment for us. And I'm Ann Wendell. I'm a physical therapist practicing in Alexandria, Virginia. I've been a physical therapist for 17 years. I have been an athletic trainer, certified athletic trainer for about 23 years now. So I've got over two decades of experience um, in all sorts of different settings. I started out in sports medicine as a certified athletic trainer. I went on to work in a hospital, uh, PRN on all of the units, so inpatient and outpatient neuro, uh, outpatient orthopedics, ICU, inpatient acute care. Um, so I did all of that and then opened my cash-based private practice in 2003. And um, I would say probably 80% of my patients come through direct access. In Virginia, we have conditional direct access, um, which includes an evaluation and 14 business days of treatment. And so this is a big hot topic for me, um, just dealing with those restrictions and uh, running my own private practice, coming up against what it's really like to deal with the direct access issues on a daily basis. 
And the way this whole talk came about was um, sometime after CSM last year, Kyle and I were talking about um, just different issues with the clinic and, and with his hospital. And it suddenly hit me that um, it actually, direct access does not just affect outpatient physical therapists. And for the longest time, I felt like the outpatient PTs were the only ones who really cared about this issue. But it became really clear that it affects all of us in whatever setting we're in, inpatient, outpatient, acute care, um, subacute. And really, it's an issue for our entire profession. And it's not just a legislative issue or a practice issue. It's a mindset that we need to get into for our profession. So I'm really excited for this talk. Okay, so uh, thank you so much, guys, for uh, giving that great intro of yourselves. And right now, what I'm going to do is just kind of break down for you how, we're how we've decided to structure our talk on direct access. So we've basically broken it up into four different um, categories. The first is what does direct access mean? Uh, the second is what is a referral source? The third, how does direct access look in different settings? And the fourth is what are the barriers to direct access in the day-to-day -day performance of our work? So what we're gonna do today in this podcast is we're gonna give you a little bit of a preview as to what, what we're gonna be covering in each of those different sections. So let's take uh, the first section. What does direct access mean? So why don't we go to Anne? Uh, let me start with you and just kind of give a little preview as to sort of what what we're going to cover in this section. Sure. So first thing we're going to do is define direct access, which I think is, is a big thing that we realized as we were planning this talk that we needed to actually come up with a definition of direct access. Um, and so we all have some idea of what that might be. And we're going to discuss this more, so I'm not going to give it away. Mm -hmm. uh, but all three of us will discuss kind of what our definition of direct access is. And then we're just going to go into a little bit of a background about direct access and the current um, state of direct access, actually, uh, as far as how many states have true unrestricted direct access versus conditional direct access. And we're going to talk about direct access, as I mentioned, not just from a legislative standpoint, but actually in, in practice and as a mindset to guide our interactions with each other and with our referral sources, with physicians and other healthcare providers, as well as other people in the community like personal trainers, um, massage therapists, and things like that. Um, and then discussing a little bit about professional advocacy, what are some of the issues we're facing, how can people get involved to help us to really practice at the top of our license, which is what we all want. Um, and then we'll be talking a little bit about taking ownership of our own assessment and treatment as patients and being willing to critique each other and critique um, our entire profession and what we're doing uh, as a means to kind of elevate our practice and really truly become uh, primary care musculoskeletal specialist. Great. And Kyle, let's, um, what I'd like to do is bring it to you and break down some of those uh, sort of subtopics in there so that people have um, a better idea uh, as what we mean when we say direct access as a mindset versus, because I think a lot of people, when they think direct access, they think legislative. 
They think, oh, it's, it's not something I have to worry about, or, you know, the people in, in the APTA are going to take care of that, or the PT PAC, or the people going to the Hill, or to your, your individual state legislatures. So how does direct access as a mindset work? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great um, delineation and one that we've obviously explicitly made for our discussion is that you have the legislative and logistical aspect of direct access, which is, you know, whether, what are the restraints or opportunities for a patient or consumer to come to you directly? But before I think we can even talk about the logistics of direct access, we have to talk about what is a direct access mindset. In other words, what is the, the training, the knowledge, and the professional responsibility of having direct access and practicing like you have direct access, even if you have none at all? And this is obviously in line with how we're trying to train our DPT students and also in line with the vision that APTA has for the future of physical therapy. Um, and, you know, I don't practice an outpatient anymore. Well, you know, you practice in acute care, students will ask me about my thoughts on direct access. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're home health in a SNF, an inpatient, an inpatient rehab, an outpatient sports, outpatient orthopedics, outpatient neuro, regardless of your setting, your mindset should be one of a direct access practitioner. Um, and what I always stress, especially to students, because students are very empowered and very excited, and that's good, is that does not mean that you're this person living in a silo on an island. What this means is that you're taking responsibility and ownership for what you know and taking the responsibility and ownership to refer, collaborate, and integrate knowledge where you do not know. And I think this is what separates a novice from a master is you have a little bit of insight into what you don't know, but this is also what separates a professional from a technician. You are making an assessment, you're making decisions, and you're making the right choice as opposed to looking at a script, looking at a protocol, doing things by a standardized way instead of integrating complex information and making decisions. So that's kind of the delineations that I like to make when discussing this topic. Yeah, and I think it's also important, and I'm glad that you brought it up, of, of knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know, knowing when to refer, knowing when to collaborate. Um, and, and this is something that I think comes with experience, and I think it comes with continuing education. Um, but it, I think it's, it's such an important part of what physical therapists do. That's part of being a, a diagnostician, in my opinion, is, is knowing when, when to treat, when to collaborate, and when to kind of refer out. And, and that's, like you said, Kyle, to kind of taking ownership and uh, taking ownership of your assessment and ownership of your treatment. And, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm always a little wary of the person who thinks that they know everything about every diagnosis and every, every patient. You know, that gets, me a little, that gets me a little scared. I don't know what you guys think about that, but to me, that's always, ooh, it makes me a little nervous. Anne, what do you think? Well, and actually, I wanted to comment on something else that Kyle brought up about um, how it, it doesn't mean that we work alone. 
Um, th- there was actually an excellent conversation about this at Cram Sessions um, a couple weeks ago in Savannah. And the point was made that in trying to become autonomous providers, we've pretty much tried to set ourselves apart as being almost like too special. Like we don't want to collaborate with other people. And I hear this a lot from um, personal trainers and massage therapists and things like that, that, you know, the PTs kind of look down on everyone else. And that is not what we're talking about here. And that is not um, what we mean by, you know, this whole conversation about direct access. We really need to be collaborative. We need to be independent but we don't need to be autonomous because no one functions, like Kyle said, in a silo. Um, We all have to function together and part of being a professional is being able to collaborate. Um, As you guys pointed out, knowing when it's time to refer to someone else versus trying to pretend like you know everything. Um, But really just having direct access just makes us be able to, um, you know, if you really think about it, we are then in a position to refer patients to physicians, to refer to other people. So that means we are really not working alone ever. We need to be collaborating. And um, I think, you know, that's something that we need to be teaching our students as well. Um, Instead of coming out with a sense of entitlement or a sense that we're better than everyone else, um, knowing what we're really damn good at and then being able to collaborate with others. Yeah, and that actually leads perfectly into the next, um, good transition, Anne. It, it leads perfectly into our next Thank segment, with, which is what is a referral source? So, you know, we've got a referral source being we, we can now be a primary referral source out versus always in, in the traditional setting before direct access, having to wait for the referral to come into us from a physician or, you know, I, uh, I think dentists can refer to PTs as well. So let's talk a little bit about what is a referral source. So Kyle, um, first thing, let's, let's sort of talk about, because we, when we think referral sources, we think outpatient. Um, so Kyle, give a little bit as to what is a referral source kind of within the inpatient setting? Is there a referral source? How does that work? Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, obviously, in an acute um, hospital, for those who aren't aware, when you come into a hospital, you will have um, what is called like a primary team. And this would kind of be the team that's overall managing your care. So you might get admitted to the hospital with an ammonia. Maybe a general medicine team is your primary team. Maybe you get a little sicker. You come into the medical ICU. You need to get intubated. Now you have a a critical care pulmonary team is your primary team. So this is the team that's going to manage your care. And they are going to then um, make what are called consults in the inpatient setting to different providers or even different physician services for things that they deem that they need the input or expertise of that service. So for example, uh, maybe you're in the medical ICU intubated and you get an acute kidney injury and that worsens and the critical care team would like some assistance managing your kidney function and they consult the renal team. Maybe they consult a dietitian, dietary, to help with managing the assessment of electrolytes, tube feeds, nutrition. Um, maybe they consult a physical therapist. Maybe they consult the wound care team, which may involve nurses, nurse practitioners, physicians, physical therapists. And so 
the referral source many times technically comes from the physician, but that doesn't mean that's where that referral was initiated from. And I'll give you an example. Um, for my fantastic um, critical care nurse colleagues, some of them are really, really good at advocating for the patient and really seeing the big picture of what's going on with the patient and then advising the medical team on potential consults that maybe to the medical team are not critical at that juncture but need to happen. And so there's been many times when I've been stopped in the ICU and one of my really high practicing nurse colleagues has said, hey, I've got this patient over here who's got this and that. They've been intubated for three days. We're bringing the sedation down. Really want to get you guys involved. I'm going to get a consult for you. Will you check back with me in 30 minutes? And then the nurse is actually advocating for the consult. Now, the flip side is a lot of people in inpatient wouldn't see therapists as a source of referrals, but there is ways for therapists to advocate for consults for a patient or for a case both to other therapists. So I will routinely advocate for consulting my speech language pathologist colleagues or my occupational therapist colleagues, um, as well as sometimes we will find things in our physical examination, uh, evaluation and assessment that maybe don't add up with what's going on with the person's medical condition. Um, so for example, I've seen a number of cases oddly where someone presented with very focal neurologic deficits consistent with a femoral nerve lesion with no documentation of why they would have this. Um, and so then I was then had the responsibility to talk with the primary team and say, Hey, I've found this and that it's not documented. It doesn't align with any of their diagnosis. You know, this, this really looks like a femoral nerve lesion. Uh, and in a couple of cases that's actually led to consulting other services or other teams to assess that and do different interventions. So the therapist in an inpatient can also be a referral source. Um, another, for inpatient folks, obvious source of referrals is advocating for a physical medicine and rehab consult for assessments of long-term management of a disability or need for an acute rehab discharge. So I'd say really broadly, those are a lot of the ways that referrals or consults can happen within an acute setting. Yeah, and I think this, Kyle, it, it sort of takes me back to that mindset, a direct access mindset. Uh, even in an inpatient setting, that you still want to be proactive about what you think is best for the patient instead of just sitting back and kind of waiting for, you know, the physician or waiting for physical therapy to be referred to from the physician. But it's it's collaborating with the entire staff physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, even nurses, aides, like you said, speech, occupational therapy, so that it, it sounds like it, you're sort of referring within the team and out to other teams versus, you know, kind of being passive and sitting back and waiting for that to happen. Absolutely. And that goes to that ownership piece. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's very easy, I think, in any setting where you don't have unrestricted direct access or it's not expected of you to kind of just take uh, let me just get on the roller coaster and ride this out type of mindset. And that's, it's not a bad thing. It's what's incentivized in that setting. Uh -huh. And it happens to non-primary teams. It happens to residents. You just kind of say, eh, not my problem right now. Someone else will figure this out, that type of thing. But, you know, if you're going to have that ownership, that responsibility, that mindset, 
then when you assess something, you communicate it, that comes with a recommendation. What's the situation? What's the background here? What's your assessment? So, and then at the end of that, what are you recommending? And that's the thing when I was uh, a younger clinician, it was hard is, you know, we're, we can't officially make medical diagnoses. We, you know, so we live in this gray zone sometimes, but, you know, residents in the fast paced acute care hospital say, what do you think it is? What do you think we should do? Because they want your assessment. They ask this to nurses, to RTs, respiratory therapists, to dietitians. You know, and it would catch me off guard, but once you understand the context of this model and how people are referring to people, you know, it's like, you know, hey, I think this guy has some type of femoral nerve lesion. You know, we should probably try to image that and see if he needs a surgical consult. Maybe he has a hematoma, maybe, you know, who knows? Um, you know, versus someone else who maybe has what looks like some neurologic deficits. They, I don't, you know, I don't know what it is. It doesn't look peripheral. It looks like a central nerve lesion. I, I think we should consult the neurology service. Um, and, you know, to your point that, you know, this takes experience, I, I, I think that's absolutely true that you need to have these reflective experiences, but I think we can teach people some of these thinking tools and this, this, this mindset that's direct access, but collaborative. So not sitting on an island saying I'm the best at everything, but saying, hmm, I'm really good at this. I see this. I don't know about this. What do you guys think? Let's make a decision. And why this is powerful as we move forward as a profession in healthcare is this is taking ownership and responsibility, but not putting you in the middle as an egocentric clinician, but putting the patient in the middle and saying, we all function at our highest practice level around the patient collaborating to make the best decisions. Exactly. And, and how does this, how do you see this play out in the outpatient arena as far as who is, because the referral sources in outpatient are going to be much different than inpatient. So where do yeah. you get that collaboration from? Well, you know, I, I think it's changing a lot. And I think as um, younger docs are graduating, they're, they're being exposed more to um, rehab services. I know that in several different schools, there are actually classes are together. So um, actually someone just told me that they're taking anatomy, but they're with the physician assistant students the, the entire semester. So they're all, her two lab partners are PA students, and then there's two PTs at each, um, each cadaver. So I think that this is getting better and it's changing, but you know, for years in outpatient, the model has been that the doctor refers the patient to physical therapy. And there, there's so many layers to that one sentence, the doctor refers the patient to physical therapy. It's just, um, I think our whole idea of the patient is changing. And like Kyle just mentioned, you know, and that's brilliant. We all need to be working with the patient at the center. Um, and I don't even like using the word patient all the time now. I mean, I think of them more as clients or, um, you know, healthcare consumers, really, because people have a choice these days uh, about where they want to go and what type of treatment they want to receive and with whom they want to receive it. Um, and I think that that's kind of good. It's pushing all of us to, to practice at a higher level because patients do have choice. They're much more educated. They're willing to, to Google things and look at options. And honestly, that's how a lot of my patients find me is through Google. Um, they find articles that I've written or, you know, podcasts that I've done and things like that. So we're dealing with a much more savvy consumer 
who is starting to understand that they can go to a physical therapist first. Um, we can't discount physician referrals because that's always going to be a big part of this. Um, the doctors that I prefer working with view it, as Kyle was just talking about, it's a consult. They've seen a patient that they know something's not quite right with. They don't really know how to go about getting them back to where the patient wants to be or the client wants to be. So they'll send them to me and say, I want you to go see Anne and see what she thinks about this. And that opens the dialogue for us to just co-treat the patient, really, even if we're not in the same office. Um, a lot of the patients that I see, I like working with psychiatrists because they have kind of a bigger picture view of what's going on. And, um, you know, they're, they're not kind of as focused on just one joint as an orthopedist is. Um, and so I really like working with some of the physiatrists in the area who refer patients. Um, but lots of times those, those patients, those clients have their own healthcare team already assembled. So several of them have another physical therapist that they work with with different, you know, things that don't do some of the things that I do. They come to see me for the things that I specialize in. They've probably got a personal trainer or a coach or something like that. Um, they probably have a massage therapist. Maybe they have an acupuncturist. And then they've got their primary care doctor and their um, physiatrist. So, you know, we all communicate, um, and this is true with several of the patients that I see, we're all always updating each other. Here's my note from my last visit with the patient. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I think maybe you could focus on. Um, and then if other physicians need to be brought in or other services, I'm in a position to make those referrals. Um, you know, like I was saying, a lot of my patients, probably 80% come to me through direct access. They find me online. They're referred by their personal trainer, friend, whatever. Um, in that case, because of the uh, restrictions on, on the draft access in Virginia, I can see them. I can do the evaluation. I can do basically three weeks worth of treatment, but I'm going to have to get a plan of care signed. So at that point, I'm in the position of being able to refer that client to a physician that I think is most appropriate for them, that understands the benefit of physical therapy and is going to be collaborative in working with me. Um, and so, you know, we have to remember physicians want referrals just like we do. And that puts us as a profession in, in a strong position. We're now in the position to refer clients to physicians. Um, and I think that's a great thing. And I think that that's something that a lot of uh, new grads especially don't understand or even the therapists who have been around for a longer time um, and maybe not used to practicing with direct access don't understand. So hopefully we can help people understand that a little better. Yeah, and, and I think from a home health perspective, I mean, the, the way I practice home health is, I guess it's a little bit different than a traditional home health agency. I don't know how many people contact a traditional home health agency um, through direct access, so I can't really speak to that, but I can speak to the way that a lot of people find me in, in a direct access way is um, online. So I think if you're an outpatient or if you're do, you have a, a home care business like I do, I think one of your biggest referral sources is, can be your website. Um, so you know, I make sure that you know, my website is in good working order and it's updated and, and all of that kind of stuff because, you know, we always think referral sources is coming from a person, but 
like Anne, like you said before, uh, a potential referral source is your website or Google because people now are, they are a little savvier. They are a little smarter. They know what they're looking for. And hopefully, you know, you can be that person to fill that niche and to fill that, uh, to fill what they're looking for. So I think it's important if you are in the outpatient or you have a private home health business um, to make sure that you have a good website. Because I get a lot of people who say, oh, you know, I Googled and I looked through a couple of websites and we kind of liked yours the best. And so that's, I've gotten a lot of patients that way. Um, and again, yeah, yeah, it's huge. So I think we all think of, like I said, referrals as being people, but nowadays a referral source can be a website or can be Google. So I think that's something uh, that everyone really has to keep in mind when they're in outpatient or, uh, like I said, or in home health. Okay. So uh, we sort of touched a little bit upon this during our referral source talk, but our third segment is how direct access looks diff How does direct access look in different settings? So what we're going to sort of cover in this is the acute care, the home health, and the outpatient. Um, and we'll be covering how direct access works and uh, is important in inpatient from the emergency department to the ICU to acute care to inpatient rehab to home health and all its forms from traditional to providing outpatient services on site in the patient's home, gym, or office to uh, outpatient physical therapy. So I guess one thing um, that maybe Anne, you and Kyle uh, might be able to cover a little bit better than I am is um, sort of that the outpatient, people think of a traditional outpatient stand, kind of standalone clinic, but hospitals have outpatient uh, clinics as well. So is there a difference between a hospital-based outpatient and a private practice outpatient? And, you know, I, either one of you can kind of take this one first because I'd like to hear from both of you. So, um, Anne, why don't you take a stab at that one? Um, I think that there, there are differences. There can be. I think it, it just really depends on the hospital and the setting and things like that. Um, you know, I worked uh, outpatient um, in our hospital that I worked at um, when I first started as a therapist. We had outpatient neuro. So that was just, you know, people who had been discharged from the hospital or from um, the SNP um, would come in for their appointments, just like anyone else would come into outpatient therapy for their, you know, one hour appointment. Um, so there was outpatient neuro. We had outpatient ortho, which functioned just kind of like any other standalone outpatient um, orthopedics clinic would. And then also as um, an outpatient service, we had a day treatment program. Um, called the bridge program for patients with strokes and um, uh, people who had had strokes and traumatic brain injury. And so that was um, collaborative between the different disciplines of the day treatment program. So hospitals may have different services to offer like that, that your typical um, outpatient orthopedic clinic mm -hmm. might not, um, you know, might not offer. Uh, I know that there's probably some differences with billing and reimbursement and, um, rules and laws and regulations and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I think it, it just depends on the type of clinic you're looking at and the type of hospital. And maybe Kyle has some other thoughts on that. Yeah, Kyle? Yeah, Kyle? 
Yeah, I mean, I think obviously fundamentally if you're looking um, at kind of conceptualizing outpatient clinics, you know, you have the, the single location, private practice, physical therapist-owned clinic, um, then you could, you know, step that up to a, a multi-site private practice that has a lot of different sites but is not a part of any bigger system. And then you have a hospital-based outpatient clinic um, where there may be multiple locations, there may only be one, but it's a, it's a part of a bigger hospital system. Um, from a direct access standpoint, obviously the, the state laws are still going to be in effect for that, um, as well as how that hospital outpatient clinic is actually going. But I know, um, for example, at University of Colorado Hospital, um, they have actually, I think for maybe eight months or even a year have piloted a direct access program in some of our outpatient clinics. And so I think if you look at it at a very macro scale, you know, you have an outpatient therapy department or clinic, um, and that conceptually doesn't have to necessarily be much different from a, a single location private practice. Um, you know, the, the therapists in that clinic want to be successful. They want to advocate for their services. Um, they want to advocate for their clinic. And so by having a direct access mindset and actually marketing directly to the consumer, it's very possible they could actually get direct access patients directly into that clinic, which, you know, if I was a hospital administrator, I would actually be kind of excited about because what could be better for a hospital system than someone comes into direct access physical therapy, that high practicing direct access physical therapist not only treats this person's painful musculoskeletal complaint, but also happens to, you know, maybe hopefully at some point take their blood pressure and say, wow, this person's got a touch of the hypertension. Let's refer them to a primary care physician. And, and, and now they're taking care of a whole lot of other things. And for the good of the system, there's a referral that happens where you're going to establish care for someone, get them a better outcome. And, you know, hopefully they're not going to come through the emergency department with a hypertensive emergency at some point. So um, I think the minutia of the rules is very different. Um, it's going to depend on the hospital system, the rules that are in place, how they build things um, and how that interfaces with the state laws. But I think conceptually there's, there's no reason to separate any outpatient setting from any other. Great. All right. What, what I will oh, yeah. just add to that real quick, um, and we can talk more about this in our, in mm -hmm. our actual talk. Um, there, there are some constraints with hospital-based um, or, or outpatient clinics that are associated with hospital systems, and that has to do with um, the Medicare laws. So most outpatient um, orthopedic clinics associated with hospital systems cannot have direct access they, the referral must come through a physician um, because they're associated with a hospital system. Now, I was just actually doing some research on this the other day, and it looks like depending on the hospital and the way they've kind of worked their contract and the way they make the rules for their system, you could actually have direct access, mm -hmm. um, but this is something that may affect, um, you know, therapists practicing in that setting that the patient might have to come in with um, with a referral from a physician if they're associated with the hospital system because of the Medicare law, which doesn't just affect Medicare patients, it affects all patients treated in the system. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, you know, because Medicare technically does not require that the patient visit the physician first. However, the physician, however, 
The doctor may require the visit, but it doesn't require a physician order for PT services, but the physician has to sign the plan of care. So Correct. It's, it has it's, to be signed within, um, I think, 30 days. Yeah. I think is when it has to be signed. So. It may be 60. I can't remember right off the top of my head. No, I think but it's that 30. is correct. And that's something yeah. a lot of people don't know that yeah. Medicare patients can see a therapist. Mm -hmm. If you're the therapist, though, you just need to be pretty sure that the doctor is going to sign off on the plan of care. Right. And that kind of goes back to our collaboration and referral back and forth from physicians that if you have a good relationship with physicians, and, and this is someone that you refer to frequently, they refer to you, then you know, perhaps they'll, they'll be more likely to trust your judgment as you're practicing, you know, like we were saying, kind of at the top of your license, and they'd be more than happy to sign a plan of care for you. You know, it all kind of goes back to that relationship that you have with, uh, with other people on your team. So, okay. I agree 100%. Yeah, let's go now, our fourth section, and I, I have a feeling that this will probably be spending maybe a little more time on this during the talk, but um, what are the barriers to direct access in the day-to-day -day performance of our work? So, you know, we've, we'll, we'll touch on a couple and we'll leave a couple for the talk. Um, but, you know, I think one of the big ones is the lack of public knowledge. Now, Kyle, in Colorado, this is probably very different if you've had direct access since the 80s, People are used to this. They know that they can go to a physical therapist. I can tell you here in New York State, nobody knows. I say it all the time to patients, and they say, the first thing is, really? What? I had no idea. And even hospital administrators, I haven't spoken to any in New York, but I've spoken to, I spoke to a hospital administrator of a large hospital in Annapolis, Maryland, and Maryland is one of those states with unrestricted direct access. And she was, she found out as a physical therapist and she said, oh, you know, I have to go see a physical therapist, but first I have to go see the doctor. And I said, well, no, 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 check your state because I'm pretty sure you can see a PT without a referral. And this was from a hospital administrator. So I think lack in of Maryland, that's the best. Yeah, they, they have complete, like you said, complete unrestricted direct access. Totally. For every, yeah. Yeah, totally. And and this is a woman who you think would be in the know because she was a high ranking, um, a high ranking member of a hospital administration, and she was she was like, oh, I'm going to make a note of that. And then I, I was like, yeah, that's probably a really good idea. You can probably save yourself well, and, some money. And, and save your hospital the system. The other reason she, yeah, and the other reason she may not know that is, you know, like I was saying, maybe the therapists and in their outpatient um, clinics don't have direct access because of the difference between being associated with a hospital and not. But right. you're right; a lot of people don't have any idea. Right. So I think that's one of the big topics that we're going to tackle. Um, I think. Yeah, I think that's yeah. that's, a, that's a big a big barrier is 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 the knowledge piece. I mean, yeah. um, and that's, you know, I think, you know, if you want to say, where does that barrier lie, you know, that, that, um, you know, to, to, uh, focus the, uh, the energy of Jerry Durham, he would say, that's our fault. Uh, that's on us. That is our fault <laughs> that, that people don't know. And, and I'd have to agree with them, but I mean, I think 
that there's a lot of other factors at play and you have, you have to look at how the medical system runs and, and who is operating within it. And it's not just a public perception problem. You know, I think, I think we have to accept the fact that most people will access the healthcare system either through a physician or through other, some other formalized entry point into medical care. And so you have to go to those access points and also educate those providers because those are the people who are interfacing with patients. Um, you know, cause I mean, you can educate every patient that you see and that is going to be effective for your practice and is very powerful, but you also need to educate every provider that you see cause they're going to see a whole bunch of patients also. And I think given the history of the gatekeeper model of healthcare, where you go to a primary care provider, they assess you and they kind of manage your care from there. That in and of itself is probably one of the big barriers because that mindset persists, even though that model may not persist. And that kind of takes into the, the next topic was the lack of, doc, of, of doctors understanding direct access to PT. But we'll talk more um, about that in our talk. Um, the other things we're going to discuss is uh, we'll discuss advocacy. We'll discuss marketing, kind of how to market direct access in an outpatient ortho uh, setting and we are not going to cover that right now because that's going to be a, a nice juicy talk and, and lots of stuff to write down. So if you're at C, uh, CSM, definitely uh, come and check us out because we'll be talking about that. Um, and I think one of the other barriers and and I think Anne or Kyle, you just sort of touched on this. What sort of Jerry Durham talks about a lot is one of the other direct one of the other barriers to direct access is ourselves. So our own profession as physical therapists, you know, not everyone is gung-ho on direct access, which I notice some people can sound um, a little strange, but, but it's true. You know, not, not everyone is 100% comfortable with physical therapists being that entry point into the medical system. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that. We're going to talk more about collaboration and we'll give you guys some ideas on how to collaborate across uh, different settings and different practitioners. Um, and, and, and finally we'll talk a little bit and I mean, I don't know how true this is because I'm not in school anymore. Um, but you know, what is the emphasis of direct access in physical therapy education? So I don't know. Um, Ann or Kyle, if you guys want to add a, a little bit on any of those topics, um, maybe how ourselves, how sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. Yeah, I think that that, go, that goes back to mindset. And um, I, I think it's interesting. I know I've personally interacted with physical therapists to say, I don't practice an outpatient. I don't really want direct access. I don't need it. Um, you know, I, I get consulted by different by physicians, you know, they, they give me some guidance and this, that, and the other. And then if I observe how they actually practice, they have a direct access mindset. They practice at the top of their license. They collaborate very, very well. Um, and again, if you want to point the lens back at us, that's, that's our own fault for misconceptualizing and being too narrow in our understanding and our pursuit of direct access. Um, and you know, when you have that narrow scope, you're going to automatically um, kind of leave out a, a big segment of the population that doesn't practice in private outpatient clinics. 
Um, and if you want to talk about unifying the profession, you need to get this vision on why it's important to all settings and to all practitioners. Um, you know, and I think the other thing that, that a lot of my frame of reference will come from will be from my experience practicing in an outpatient clinic with unrestricted direct access, but also um, when I was doing both inpatient and outpatient was how those, it really hit me and it was a very profound kind of realization and observation that, my goodness, acute care is the place to get this done. I mean, this is where residents train. This is where you interact with healthcare professionals every single day. Um, people go home after this. This is where you dial in their care pathways. Um, and, it, and it just really hit me that, wow, acute care is the place to train and to understand their direct access mindset, but also to advocate for it to other professions. And so I think a lot of my insights will be from that lens of why, where acute care fits in both at the training level of our students and the advocacy level day to day for the providers we interact with. Yeah, and Anne? Um, yeah, that's all great stuff, and I 100% I agree with Kyle. I think uh, my focus um, in this last section here might be a little bit more on the other way that we stand in our own ways, which is uh, our lack of understanding and knowledge about um, business and marketing. And those are, those are two things that I've written a lot about and talked a lot about. Um, we have got to understand that there's nothing wrong with wanting to earn money doing what we do. Um, we are in a business. Healthcare is a business, and we have customers and clients just like any other business does. We provide, um, you know, a service, and we receive payment for services. Um, so I really want to talk a lot more about kind of how we we can market ourselves, how we can interact with other professionals, not just healthcare professionals, but all kinds of business owners in our community to build a network, how we can learn from other professionals um, about how they run business, about how they provide excellent customer service to their clients. Um, there's a lot we can learn, and there's a lot we can learn from looking outside of healthcare uh, because, you know, we typically have not um, had to think about ourselves in terms of marketing and business. Um, and, and now with direct access, we are, and we need to, and we need to start educating our students from the time they're in school um, about how to run a business because that's, that's what we're doing a lot in outpatient. So I think I, I'll talk a little bit more about that. I, I think we can have a really nice conversation about that and I don't want to give it all away now. So. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, I think uh, in that last segment, you know, talking more about sort of true collaborations and, and really understanding how to make someone part of your team and not someone that you just refer to here and there. So being, having true, almost making friendship. It, it is, it's, you're sort of making friendships with the people that become your referral sources, you know, because these are people who are trusting you with their patients, or maybe it's people that are trusting you with their family members. And so to really kind of go in with that mindset of having empathy and having understanding and really treating the people that you refer to and that, that they refer to you as, as friends and being in this very, you know, trusting circle, I think is really important. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that in that section as well. Um, that being said, we are just about out of time. So um, Kyle, I'm going to throw it over to you. 
And I just want you to, you know, maybe give any last thoughts or, or um, uh, on what, how, what this talk is going to be like. You know, I, th I think um, this talk will be great because we're going to have some good foundational information on kind of where we are currently with restricted versus unrestricted direct access. Um, but I think the nice thing is, is that even though this is hosted by the private practice section, you know, I think any student is going to be fired up by this talk. I think this applies to every setting. And, you know, we're going to give people some good things to, to go home with and, and you know, kind of integrate into their mindset and their day-to-day -day function. But I think this is a really broad um, conceptual talk that should really, um, you know, leave us as, as, as the panel members, as the speakers, and also the audience kind of, kind of thinking about the possibilities that we have ahead of us. And, you know, as we all three have talked about, we foresee it to be very interactive. I'm really mm -hmm. looking forward to um, not just the questions, but also the insights and, and conversations that come up from the audience to see um, where this talk goes. And I, I really think people will not be disappointed attending this session. Yeah, Anne? Um, I'm just super excited about this. Um, it, it was funny because we got on the topic of direct access and um, actually telehealth, telemedicine, which is another thing I want to bring up in that last segment there, um, but at Graham sessions and the conversation got really and a lot of people had things to say and I debated getting up to stand up and, um, and comment and I realized that I didn't have a comment, I had a presentation. Um, so it was unfair for me to get up and try to take over the mic to say everything that I wanted to say. And I was just really happy that I knew that less than a month um, from that, I would actually get to, to sit there and have this conversation with both of you and with everyone in the audience and really give it the attention that it deserves because this is something that um, for the last several years, um, direct access has been the main thing that I've focused on and thought about in my writing and, and talking and things like that. Um, we've got to get this fixed and we've got to change our mindset as a profession and we've got to market and get the word out there. And um, I really think that this is vital for, for all of us and it's not just us and outpatients. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, as am I. And I think, um, Again, we sort of emphasize this a lot. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this. This is the first time I've done this at, at a combined sections meeting, so I'm a little excited and nervous. Um, but I think overall, it's going to be really great. We're going to keep it very conversational. Um, so if you're coming and you're, you're going to be in attendance, please, please bring questions, speak up and start a conversation. Um, and you'll also be leaving the lecture with um, some actionable steps. So we're going to give you some call to action and hopefully um, very, very easy stuff, but hopefully um, over the next couple of weeks, you guys can kind of, kind of accomplish what we're going to ask of you guys to do. So um, we're all looking forward to it. And again, it's direct access to the continuum of care. It's going to be Thursday, February 5th from 11 to 1. Uh, room 205, the Indiana Convention Center, and it's sponsored by the private practice section. We're very, very thankful to the private practice section for including us this year in CSM. So, um, Anne, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on and, and giving everyone a little preview of our talk in a couple of days. And to everyone out there listening, if you're going to CSM, we hope to see you there. And have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. <laughs>